Today we talked with Monica. Let's get a quick intro. So my name is Monica Menchkoskaita. I act, I'm actually a machine learning engineer, and I'm passionate about using AI for good, meaning both sustainability and also uh, security of the world. So hopefully today we'll be talking also uh, how AI can be used to make world a safer place. So welcome back to another episode of Are You a Robot? I'm Dimitrios Brinkman, the host for today's session. And in case you're new here, this is a podcast, video cast, where we aim to tackle some of the greatest challenges that stem from machine learning, AI, and related technologies. The way that we go about this is by gathering the best and brightest in their selective fields and having them come on to the show and talk with us about what exactly they are seeing in their world, how they view the current state of affairs, and if there's anything that we need to be especially aware of. I will mention that the conversation does not stop here. In case you would like to join us in talking about all of the cool stuff that we discuss on this podcast, I encourage you to jump into our Slack community where we are sharing links, talking about all of these different hot topics and whatever else we are passionate about. So the link to the Slack is in the description. You can click on that and come introduce yourself. Let us know what you're working on and what you enjoy thinking about when it comes to AI and ethics, data governance, all these cool new buzzwords that people like to throw around. Are you into bias? Do you want more transparency? You want some explainability? We've got a little bit of all of it in that Slack community. Jump on, join the conversation. And last but not least, I will mention our sponsor, Ethics Grade. They've been with us from the beginning and I cannot give them enough praise and thanks in case you do not know what Ethics Grade is doing or you've never heard of them before. They're an ESG ratings company. ESG ratings means that they measure the non-financial impact of a company on the greater ecosystem. So what is Ethics Grade doing? Well, they're creating scorecards that measure the different programs companies have, such as their AI ethics program, their data governance program, and a handful of others, which you can go and download for free at their website, ethicsgrade.io. You can also just click the link below in the description and go and be magically transported to their website, download a scorecard, and see what companies like Alibaba or Amazon do when it comes to data governance. How is their data governance? Do they do what they say they do? Or are they just giving us a whole bunch of marketing crap? That is ethicsgrade.io. Go check it out. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Monica. Are you a robot? It's great to have you here, Monica. I am very intrigued by what you do and especially what you do around machine learning and security. And I want to dive into all of that. But maybe before we start, we can get a bit of background on how you ended up where you are right now. 
Yeah, actually, I started out uh, in physics. As a kid, I loved coding, but I also loved science. So I was uh, passionate about studying nature and I went to study physics. This is where I got introduced into machine learning because he did uh, uh, high energy physics data analysis for CERN. So I looked like for Higgs boson, for dark matter, for all the cool things, studied how the universe started. And afterwards, when I graduated, I applied all of that in the industry. I analyzed cybersecurity logs, email logs, detected hackers, and also got to work on a project which is uh, called Open Source Intelligence, which uh, combined various AI algorithms uh, to analyze the data that's available on the internet openly. So. It was quite an ambitious project because it combined a few different algorithms uh, uh, looking at the data from both like image perspective, also uh, sentiment analysis and so on. So we were able to look uh, connections with, between various groups on the internet and so on. So yeah, this is how I got uh, into machine learning and cybersecurity. I also worked on a project which uh, was aimed to look for various uh, hacker uh, behaviors uh, scenarios inside the uh, security logs of computers as well. So machine learning both help to like uh, get an awareness uh, what's happening on the internet and as well it can help to detect hackers too. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. And so the other thing that is really interesting is this project that you were working on. Can you go into that a little bit more before we go into the security and machine learning? Yeah, actually open source intelligence tools uh, uh, are not a new thing. Uh, they got, however, much smarter recent years when we started using AI. Uh, basically, open source intelligence is using everything you can get on the internet in the open uh, about the people. So meaning like from social media, also news and and forums and uh, it can help and it can also be a dangerous technology so it's very fascinating uh, maybe some of you remember Cambridge Analytica scandal when this data was used uh, not exactly for the good it was used to uh, like to guide election in some way so yeah this is the example when this data is data and AI use is, is quite dangerous for, for us, but it can also help. It can also help to detect uh, like various fake news, propaganda action, and uh, like many extremist groups, which uh, try, try to, uh, to spark conflicts. So this is where it can be used for good. Uh, how does this tool work? So basically, exactly. usually it has uh, crawlers going on the internet and picking up all the data. It can be uh, uh, social media profiles which are open, also news, comments, you, you name it, everything you, you post in publicly on the internet. And then it uh, analyzes it. So we used... Uh, actually uh, quite a few object recognition algorithms on images to uh, to look for, uh, for example, military equipment. 
and also used sentiment analysis uh, to uh, see how positive or negative comments are basically to detect uh, to de detect the variance of the moods because it actually if you have a very huge uh, contrast of moods inside the comments it might mean that the post is fake news and it's looking to like spark spark conflict uh, among the audience and we also oh, used uh, BERT algorithms to have a bit of uh, meaning from the comments as well to see uh, what kind of entities are being talked about, discussed about. And actually, we find out that, well, those tools can actually uh, draw quite a good picture about what somebody is doing on the internet uh, and who they are, like what school they went to and so on. So this tool is actually uh, is not uh, like for the use of the private companies. It's aimed for governmental use, restricted use, because even though the information is public, uh, from Cambridge Analytica, we learned that you, you can do so much with it. So, for example, uh, Cambridge Analytica managed to gather data from 230 million people from US. And each of the person left on the internet about four to 5,000 data points. So they basically were able to reconstruct their uh, public opinions, political views, and so on. So those tools are better be used for good. And it means to ensuring uh, like the safety, the public safety. And it turns out you can see quite something on the internet. It's uh, from, from actually uh, military trainings that are happening. Turns out that some people just simply post on Instagram what's happening in their life. So sometimes it's military trainings too. And also like uh, whatever groups are, are emerging, whatever like uh, uh, events are happening. So it's basically a very good eye overseeing everything what's happening on the public internet. So I think we talked about before the dangers of this, even in certain governments' hands and how this could be very powerful. And I'm thinking of like the different, if you had an uprising in a country that has a dictatorship and how this dictatorship could use this kind of information against their own people. Have you seen that happen? Do you have any thoughts on how that that could play out or has played out? I would not say that it's like actually uh, like used uh, for like from for restricting the lives of people, but definitely like public data is being used uh, uh, in some countries. Uh, how it would be like in more di dictatorship environment, I think, yeah, it, it would be quite... Uh, quite a dangerous asset for government to exploit and use because you can tell a lot about what person is uh, is buying, what they're uh, reading, what are they posting. And yeah, if uh, free speech would be a problem, actually it this tool could be used to, to like enforce something on, on the person. Uh, not in all the cases you can trace, uh, like for example, Lacmenta, if you have your uh, online username somewhere, maybe you can not always trace, 
but actually in a case of uh, like some uh, offense or, or, or some crime, uh, any government could trace uh, it like from the IP, ask the uh, news site or, or the social media site to like provide more data who, who was behind that IP and and where it's coming from, also through network providers, they can trace it. So, yeah, it's actually a tool with uh, quite immense power. So it, it would be better used in good hands and with some some caution and some regulations. Hmm. Yeah, and it's fascinating to me, all of these different areas or ways that you're talking about machine learning is being used such as the image recognition or the sentiment analysis. And so going along the good route on how it's being used for good, you're able to check and make sure that, or certain things trigger the fake news detectors. Like Mm -hmm. if there is a lot of polarization in the comments, are there other things that would trigger or make these different models know if something is potentially fake news? Uh, I would say some of the things would be to look for emerging trends because uh, fake news are also targeted to be like something that spreads virally. So when you combine both of those, like something emerging very like rapidly, also with a very polarized uh, views on it, uh, yeah. Yeah, you can already like uh, judge it. Okay, of course you always need a human analyst to take a look at it, but you can judge that. Okay, this is like a fake news trend that is appearing, and yeah. So these are, I think, the most important ones. And then again, you can like use uh, AI to try to see whether like the pictures or videos are real. It's a bit more complicated because both the uh, like fake fake video and fake picture generators are getting better, and also the detectors need to get better. So this is other case of that. Uh huh. So let's jump into security now. Uh, since we talked about that, I really wanted to get that out of the way because I I find that fascinating, and I know the last time we spoke, we talked about that just briefly. And it felt to me like, wow, this is a huge topic that I know very little about. And I love learning about it from you and also thinking of the implications of the immense power that you can have with a tool like that. But going into security now, maybe you can give us a bit of background on what is happening with machine learning and AI in cybersecurity. Yeah, so actually cybersecurity is experiencing a global shortage of talent. So, yeah, it's one reason to get into it, but also the people who are currently working here, we need to solve it. So uh, one of the ways is to automate as much as we can with AI. And the recent trend is also uh, using machine learning to detect uh, intruders, uh, hackers. So basically, AI is used for number one, I would say, anomaly detection. It's a more simple version where it simply uh, taps into like your network. It, it observes it for a while and then tries to see whether it's behaving normally or there is some anomaly. For example, like 
suddenly increased traffic could be a DDoS attack uh, and so on. So, or like uh, suddenly like a new device appeared and, and it could be like somebody trying to like spy your network. So one of those is anomaly detection. Another one is uh, basically trying to put the ex expert intelligence on how the hacker attacks uh, look like inside the cybersecurity talks and trying to train the models to detect those. It's, I would say, a very difficult task because you need to combine both machine learning intelligence and the expertise of cybersecurity professionals. And it also revolves about like searching systems. So, but uh, on the other hand, the amount of knowledge you can put into an AI algorithm is like immense. It, it could be way more than uh, like a team of cybersecurity experts combined. So I think uh, AI is gonna bring good things for security in, in near future. Yeah, it's incredible to hear about the the different ways that we can use it. And then I guess the other side is what's the flip side where AI and machine learning is being used for malicious purposes? Okay, so as well, uh, machine learning can like learn, learn your uh, what's happening on, on your network. You can also learn, use it to learn and how to exploit some networks to, to be unnoticed. So I think it's here it's it's quite powerful, but more than that, I think you can here induce that uh, machine learning itself can be fooled. So, for example, if you have self-driving cars, you can like uh, fool them with slightly modified traffic signs, or you can fool a face detection algorithm with a picture, and so on. So, I think here we have like a bigger problem. Uh, so uh, there is also an area as an AI security, which is quite new, I would say. Uh, people are still trying to figure out like how a, uh, like deep learning can be hacked and, and how to prevent that and what we need to test uh, like uh, before deploying such a technology so we could be sure that it works as as, as it needs to work. So. It's very, uh, I would say, unpredictable area because the algorithms themselves are evolving quite fast as well as their use cases. So it's, it's hard to know what's going to happen. But yeah, people are creative. People are trying to get around it. And sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's, it's dangerous. So we always need to be like prepared as best as we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like a new, a totally new angle. And... As we know, AI augments human abilities. And so this is able to augment the human abilities for the good and for the bad. And if I'm not mistaken, the way that right now the AI and machine learning is being put into practice for the defense in your cybersecurity is through like the third-party apps, right? And so you would contract a third-party app and then that third-party app has some kind of cybersecurity or AI built into their cybersecurity? Yeah, it's usually a third-party app. Uh, uh, also, businesses invest, I would say, uh, way more into their uh, protecting their infrastructure because it's critical infrastructure usually. 
uh, also governments. Uh, we need to protect actually such critical uh, critical infrastructure as power plants, like uh, to because it's actually very attractive target for uh, hackers, also nuclear weapons. So yeah, governments are investing in that too. So uh, most of the projects are suited for a specific use case because the needs are actually different. It depends uh, what kind of system you have. Is it just like regular uh, computer network, like for example, Windows-based computers, also with the uh, Unix machines? Or is it like some industrial uh, industrial computer like a power plant? Uh, then the situation is different. You have different data. You have uh, different pathways for data. Also uh, different different needs. So there is quite some room for different products. Some are aimed at uh, businesses. Some are aimed at, for example, protecting power plants uh, and so on. So. Also, edge devices, uh, they have very different uh, security needs, I would say, as well. So, basically, any type of different device uh, can could uh, use a, a specific solution tailored for it. So, for example, if you have uh, cars as well, the way they are being hacked is different, too. Uh, you would need to take that into account. So I would say the future is bright for, for this uh, area, like uh, many products will, will sprout. So let's let's wait and see. Well, yeah, I remember hearing all about different smart refrigerators getting hacked and then ordering a lot of milk from the supermarket or something. And that, I guess, is a very tame way that mm -hmm. something could get hacked and it it's like a very minimal effect from it. But then like you talk about these autonomous cars that can get hacked are a much different scenario and it is much scarier, much more high risk. Or then you talk about on the other side, the energy power plants. And I'm sure that everyone in the US knows all about how the there was the ransomware attack on uh, pipelines, I think recently, a few months ago at the time of recording this. And so I guess the next question that I have is, are there any sectors or industries that are using this kind of, this kind of technology for other purposes? Uh, you mean the cybersecurity one or? Yeah, so, so exactly the cybersecurity stuff, like are there places that are using different the cybersecurity in different ways than we would expect? I would say uh, it would be news, would be needed like to use it in, in many industries which are not traditionally using it. Uh, basically, the goal is always to protect the data, to protect the systems. So I would say, like, the final goal is always uh, always uh, good cybersecurity, but many more industries, I would say, would need to consider to protect themselves better. As we noticed, uh, traditionally, some of them don't feel the need that they, they would need such advanced tools, but it turns out that you always need to be prepared. 
So, for example, in, in medicine, last year we have a first a first victim from cybersecurity incident. Basically, uh, one person's medical records were encrypted by hackers, and they were not able to get help, and, and unfortunately, they died. So, hospitals should take more caution, and also, I would say, logistics. Because uh, we realized last year also when the first vaccines were shipped, uh, basically logistic companies were became a very attractive target for hackers. And it turns out they now had a problem like that. They uh, weren't used to to be such such a good target, so we were not ready. And also many like supply chains were were hacked. Information like was uh, damaged, missing, and so on. So I think, well, the final goal would be always the same cybersecurity, but we should be more aware of it because uh, the incidents are rising actually worldwide and we should be more aware of it. And basically like industries which traditionally were not such... uh, uh, such IT heavy uh, now they're becoming like using more more of the, such tools for example planning routes and so on they should be aware that like uh, as soon as you start using computer you also need to start worrying about uh, your data and about your security hmm. that's so true all of I'm just thinking about all of these different people that talk about digital transformation but nobody really talks about the cybersecurity that you need on top of that digital transformation. Yeah, it's not a very sexy topic, I would say, because it's it's not a new feature. It's not like uh, uh, something like would change the way you work and so on. But I mean, people realize it usually as soon as uh, the first breach happens or as soon as, you know, the customer data leaks and company loses reputation. So I think we should always keep that in mind. Uh, and you also, I mean, should notice that, for example, when uh, every time Facebook gets a data leak, they also like stock value plunges, meaning that a uh, company loses reputation. So it's something something like companies should aim to keep and, and not to risk. Yeah, exactly. We talk about this quite a bit, but just the trust that you lose when something like that happens is immense and it's very hard to gain that trust back once you've lost it so there's another thing that i kind of wanted to touch on and i know you were talking to my colleague ria about this it was the way that tax companies in the u.s are using machine learning and the different uh and su- such do you want to jump into that? Yeah, I can talk a little bit, maybe a little bit from personal experience. I have some some family there, so they were surprised that uh, uh, they are being uh, like uh, uh, searched for by by tax companies, but also like uh, a lot of credit companies are using those tools as well to basically see uh, who are you connected to. Uh, and to try to determine how well, like, are you behaving financially as well? Uh, it 
there's like a lot of room for discussion here because uh, we cannot ensure this uh this like your public uh, media profile cannot be very objective and also like how, the way you try to measure your credibility from what you comment it's I mean, it's a bit crazy to see how, how people try to connect those things. So they usually they get some, some metrics that are evaluated and used by, by, uh, by the companies. So for example, like for credit companies, they use it quite freely. You just get some, some rating and there is a lot of, uh, uh, like room to question, like should it be more transparent should i know how it was calculated but uh, so far i think uh, i mean that transparency is, is not that that big so this is going back to what we were talking about in the beginning right with the project and this is like a mini version of that project that you were talking about i would say yes it's a similar similar tool um the way it's used it's very for me it's very non-transparent because you need to make some assumptions like i mean how, how i rate how well you behave by for example seeing you post something on facebook so i mean very often like uh, these tools incorporate your uh, personal data such as your age gender and so on so I think a good tool would try to eliminate the bias which are based on your like uh, gender and age, but but it should be transparent. It should be transparent, and we should be aware how how we are measured. So that's also something like uh, uh, European Union regulations are trying to solve, like to to help the AI make more transparent and explainable. But so far, those algorithms are being used in some places without much, much, much transparency. So, yeah, maybe it will change. Yeah. And it, it feels to me like the way that they're being used, like you said, without the transparency, but then also we are not really sure if they're looking at our social media or anything. Basically, we can assume from what I'm hearing you say is anything that is public about us on the internet is probably being used to assess our credit score, our insurance, our different things that we apply to. Yeah, basically anything, anything you posted, anything you shared. So I mean, when you develop a machine learning algorithm, you can go a couple of ways. You can work with certain hypotheses and try to like make it uh, transparent and basically uh, a bit like uh, uh, explainable and a little bit predictable. But you can also uh, just use the, the data pipe it into machine learning algorithm and work and let it like judge. But we've seen that this approach uh, almost always introduces like uh, a lot of biases. So for example, the hiring algorithms, maybe some of you read it, like they, 
when you train the machine learning algorithm without uh, like adjusting that all of all kinds of people would be included inside the data set in more or less equal amounts. Uh, without doing that, you get a biased algorithm which says, okay, so in my data set, for example, only 10% of people were women. So I'll assume I can hire like around 10% of women. So the same with the credit scoring, it can simply become a biased machine, which would just like, okay, I've seen like that people with these political views seemed to be like uh, better at paying back their loans. So I'll just assume that somebody with those views uh, like uh, will be a better pay over. So then you at a disadvantage. So, wow. so I hope like that companies try to like limit the judgment power of AI until they make it like as objective as possible, as unbiased as possible. So th this is the goal, but of course, like things happen. So this is, I think, uh, one thing you have to deal with innovation. You cannot prevent anything un until you realize the, the power of technology. So it's really interesting to like go down the rabbit hole on this one example that you pointed out about maybe certain people that hold views and comment on social media about these views, whether it's political views or just that they like running or something very benign. And they find a correlation that these type of people tend to pay back their loans much more than anyone else. So we should give them more of uh, we should we should approve those loans more frequently. Now, like diving into that, really, uh, aside from us as the end user deleting our social media accounts or trying to make everything locked down and very private, is it our responsibility to not put anything out there? Or is it like you, you're, you mentioned the responsibility of the company to not use these certain uh, these certain features in the model to to judge or make its predictions on is it a little bit of both I would say yeah a little bit of both maybe a little bit for us because I mean internet is all about free speech and uh, like sharing sharing however you feel and having an opinion it's it's simply what humans do so internet should suit humans not to not like uh, prevent them from some behavior but yeah everything you post online you should be aware of anyway because it, if it can be seen it can be used for some purpose but i think the company should have a responsibility like uh, for what they do and uh, very often, as I mentioned, political views uh, were taken into account, but we should uh, remember that it might be unintentionally, maybe company just like trained model and they did not know like the uh, judgments the model makes, how, how does it reason? So if they don't have that transparency, they can be using it without knowing it. So usually it's not their intention to judge you by, by your views or something, but it can happen. 
And yeah, companies should ensure the objectivity, the data quality. It starts usually from data quality, like gathering like equal uh, amounts of uh, of data about different uh, groups you are trying to like uh, predict their uh, their credibility. So I think if you put in enough work, uh, enough uh, care to ha- to have everybody included, and enough. Uh, enough knowledge and expertise to, to make it transparent and take the biases out of your model, you can have a, a, a very good outcome which actually works for everybody. So, so yeah, I think in the future we'll be growing towards more explainable AI, especially Europe has the edge for that. It also makes it a bit more uh, complicated to get your technology out. It slows things down a bit, but it also ensures that it serves for good. Uh, some other countries are actually taking a different approach. They let the technology be out there until until like we see like serious damage from it, and, and only then it gets like regulated. Well, it makes things faster for business, but it's also a bit more like. Uh, I would say disturbing for society. So, yeah. So we see kind of in the world we see like two emerging two different different trends. One of them is uh, try to prevent it, and another one is like try to fix it after something goes wrong. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those like launch and iterate or mm-hmm. measure twice, cut once kind of problems and how the different cultures play into it and what they expect or the different regulations like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really thinking about this idea of an insurance company or a loan, uh, a bank denying someone or approving someone of a loan based on their political ideas. I'm really wondering, uh, well, I mean, I guess first we should just say there's a huge caveat in this, which is trying to make sure that these machine learning models are not biased is a very, very difficult, if not impossible problem, because we both know how difficult it is to have a 100% non-biased machine learning Mm -hmm. model, right? It's something that I don't think I've ever heard of existing as of yet. And that is just because of the inherent biases in the people that are programming them and in the data that you're getting. There's so many ways that it can go wrong that it makes it much harder. And so along those lines, just kind of putting a little bit of a a hairpin in that and saying having a 100% non-biased model is out of the question. But along those lines, when we are looking at a bank who is deciding on which loan they want to approve and they recognize there's a certain correlation between whether it's religious beliefs or political beliefs or certain things that someone says on social media or on their blog or wherever on their youtube channel and that their ability to pay back loans or their likeliness to pay back loans i guess the main question that goes through my mind is should there be things that are off limits for the machine learning models to take in like religious beliefs or political beliefs and then make 
predictions based on those certain things and finding correlations on them? Yeah, that's a good question. It's more like of an opinion. I would say there should be, but of course it depends on the culture, what's normal in a certain culture. So for example, like uh, in more like in Europe, you would like expect like, okay, it shouldn't, we shouldn't take into account that, that and that. And possibly if the model is non-transparent, maybe we shouldn't use it at all. So I would say like, I would take this with a grain of salt because uh, usually these models have some weight in your, in the decision, but they're not, they're not making the, the entire decision part. Uh, what matters uh, uh, the most is always like your credit history, for example, for, for a bank of a credit company, also your, your, your habits that they can see within their, their platform. But yeah, I think there should be limits. There should be limits basically like uh, this, this. This is actually a very wide area and Europe is trying also to like to pass on some regulations that how uh, ethical AI should be. So we, we are going there and yeah, it's a lot to consider all your political beliefs, your gender, even your age. I mean, it's, it would be age discrimination to assume like that you better or worse at some, at some age, because it, it depends on the person. So I hope we are getting there where like, uh, where we can get a benefit out of this. For example, if we uh, use, uh, machine learning uh, on your habits, but we don't take into account your like personal data. We take into account your spending habits and so on. We could actually arrive uh, to a benefit where we get a more favorable conditions if we actually have a better, like uh, a better money habits. So I think here AI can actually bring good and there is a trend. There is a trend now for insurance companies also to use like your uh, activity tracker to see if are you taking care of yourself and if, if you are working out, if you looking after yourself. They say you should get a discount for uh, like for health insurance. Also, uh, there is a trend for uh, uh, car insurance companies. If uh, some, there are companies who try to measure how well you drive. And if you are driving well, if you are not speeding, it means you should get better insurance conditions because you are you behave well, you are much less likely to get into traffic accidents. So you should be at the benefit side of that. And some people are actually happily getting good discounts there. So I think AI can, here can, can bring good uh, to, to this world, incentivizing good behavior because uh, how it was done like the day before you, you were always judged by your age, by, by your gender, by uh, like, I know marital status as well. So back in the day, I think it was much worse than it is right now. Uh, and if we are ensuring it, it uses the information in the right way, we will be going towards a good direction. Yeah, that's one that I often think about is how the fitness trackers or the uh, car insurance problem or question uh, comes into account. And I think that's a fascinating one. Obviously, if we are 
voluntarily signing up for it, right? To allow the insurance companies to see our data on how we drive. If it's just that they're going to take our data no matter what, and that is how it works, that's the de facto mm -hmm. standard. I'm, I think I'm really against that. But if it's like, hey, do you want to get better rates? Uh, if you can sign up for this program, then and you drive well, like you said, you drive the speed limit or um, under it, then we're going to give you better rates. It incentivizes it or it in incentivizes it. Like if I'm athletic already and then I find out that, hey, just by sharing my data, I can get better insurance quotas, then maybe I'll, I'll go for that. But if it's something where I share it just because I sign up for this insurance company, then that's a whole nother story. Uh, so let's move on to something else that you had talked about with me, I think the last time that we spoke, which was about AI being used in China and the monitoring that's happening there. Do you yeah. want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, we touched it a little bit. Uh, it's actually very interesting to see how different it is from culture point of view and how differently it affects the development of AI in, in different like countries. For example, here in Europe, we have it a bit slower because we try like to marry first. Uh, we have uh, quite a few regulations we need to pass before being able to ship something like a computer vision product to market. And in China, it's way easier. So one of the things is like they, they let the, the company ship it. So uh, it's easier for businesses. And they also like uh, put regulations only if they see that, well, it, it becomes harmful. So I think they are more open for new technologies, which accelerates the, the growth of the AI sector. And uh, one more thing that you have in China is basically government, universities and companies uh, are connecting together in order to develop AI to, to, uh, to get the talent from universities to companies and also to use, uh, use the data. So there is a lot of focus and I think many things are like being carry, carried out very well because the growth of AI is immense and there is a goal like that by 2030 it should uh, uh, like the value from AI should make up about 26 percent of GDP so so they are aiming high and, and and it's good to see how much effort like there is uh, the way it's in Europe we usually try to prevent uh, the things before they happen and we are more cautious about uh, our like freedoms regarding our personal data uh, like talking about the social credit system, for example, in China, people are actually quite supportive of it because there is like uh, uh, like uh, a more like widespread opinion. People like believe there should should be uh, there should be some uh, governance of that. So so yeah, they they looking at it quite openly while here in Europe it would simply wouldn't work we would get a lot of like negative <laughs> negative uh, feelings about that so 
Yeah, it's interesting. So in China, you actually uh, monitored uh, on your uh, behavior how how well you drive, how how well you are crossing streets, and you can get like social score for it. Meaning, uh, uh, the government can have some like uh, uh, ne negative incentives for you. So if you if you are not behaving well, you could get travel restrictions and so on. So it's it's working in China. It's working for the culture. Uh, here we, uh, in Europe, we cannot uh, track uh, personalized data from like computer vision unless it's some service you subscribe for. But meaning it means you cannot basically use it in streets. It's Mm -hmm. unless it's uh, anonymous so if it's anonymous then uh, yeah you're able to do it and another thing about sharing data actually uh, uh, people in China are much more willing to share their personal data because there is this uh, support for the growth of technology and so on so they are willing to share it and uh, I have one friend, Aileen, so she uh, helped me showing their most popular, I think, app, WeChat, which has like uh, 1.2 billion users. So it's an immense app, I would say, because you do so many things for it. You do payments, you do social media, chatting, e-commerce, like everything. And all of this data basically uh, comes through one company. So they have the immense power to know like uh, uh, all the spending habits and, and social habits of uh, uh, like 1.2 billion people. So it, it's huge power, I would say. It's huge power and like the things they're going to do with it, well, it depends on them. So they are much more willing to share their data, but and they also accelerating that the develop that the development of AI so yeah this is one approach that helps technology but people of course are need to be fine with it in Europe mm -hmm. as I mentioned it's a bit bit different but well we're making things happening as well so I think uh, like we have also like an edge on using AI in medicine. Actually, AI helped to develop many vaccines too. It helps to uh, uh, study uh, protein structures and so on. So, like for the recent developments of the um, world and medicine, uh, Western countries contributed much as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm sure that you've heard of AlphaFold and how that was created and all of that good stuff and. So now going to a little bit more of a sticky question, it, returning to the cybersecurity part and AI, I mean, you just spoke about how China is investing heavily in AI and how do you see or do you have any comments on China's use of AI when it comes to threats with AI on the global scale? Uh, f threats meaning, meaning what? Basically them weaponizing okay, the so, use of their AI. Okay, yeah. so there are actually way worse ways to weaponize AI. 
the way it's like done to monitor people, I think, well, as long as the like government is serving its people and as long as they culturally write with it, so it's like it, it's it's working for the country, but. Well, the way to be weaponized, I would say uh, it's worse, uh, a bit worse uh, if you use it to like for military uh, applications. So um, the most, uh, actually, I think the most advanced ones are in Singapore, where there is this uh, whole AI driven system, which uses AI to detect targets approaching the city also uses AI with recommendation engine, by the way, uh, which recommends the right weapon for the right target. So as you realize that any type of AI, which is developed for like even commercial use can be used for, for warfare, for defense. Uh, so yeah, things become tricky here because, uh, well, usually one, uh, many people like to uh, work on a peaceful side of the AI, but turns out that recommendation engine can also be used for warfare. So yeah, these are the applications. And I mean, so far there's always humans involved in the loop. So the final decisions are so far always on humans, but we don't know what's coming, what's coming in the future. So yeah. as far as for weaponizing personal data, well, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't want to to, to be like a, a bad puppet, but so far it seems that, of course, it could be used for governance, but as weaponizing it, it's like whole other area of, of technology mm -hmm. that's, that is being developed. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking more uh, along the lines of how you were talking about so much investment and ease or how china is making it so easy to put ai into production and really encouraging the different uses of ai and how that could then like you said maybe not on a along the military lines of recommender systems being used to decide which missile to use i'm just thinking about the different hacks that are potentially coming out of that and the way that China, maybe behind closed doors, is using that same kind of AI to do different things to set itself up on the world stage. But again, this is, uh, you don't need to comment on this. <laughs> I, I know it's not exactly what we were planning on talking about, but it, you your whole um, way that you were talking about this made me realize just the the amount of investment that's going into China and the amount of really support for AI creates inevitably different ways that AI can be used and and then we see different hacks that happen and we hear about later that oh well maybe they came from from the actual government of Russia or China or um, or whoever it may be. So that was something that I was thinking about. Yeah, so I think it, it depends on, on 
on the goals. I would not put it like on certain country, but I mean the methods and the world are, are the same. Like you have uh, uh, fake news generators, also like AI. The for example GPT, uh, it, it was developed for the fun, but it turned out that it can generate fake news. So anybody that that could get hands on it and like use it like for some uh, purpose of, for example, affecting public opinion could already use it like to generate some pretty, pretty creative articles, which don't always uh, comprehensive. But but I mean, we are going there that like any technology which was developed peacefully could also be used for for other purposes. And yeah, I mean, it's out there also like uh, uh, fake video generation, fake image generation generators. It's these are the ways that AI was affecting uh, public opinion. Excellent. Well, I have one last question for you, Monica. It's been fascinating talking to you as always. I love the way that you explain things and you really have taught me a lot about what is going on in the world when it comes to AI and cybersecurity and the different ways that our data is out there and it is being used and made me want to go and delete all my social media accounts. <laughs> <laughs> but the last question for you is, Monica, are you a robot? No. <laughs> Too bad, right? Uh, nothing is surprising. Excellent. Well, thanks again for coming on here. It's been a pleasure. Okay, nice to talking to you, Dimitrios, uh, and everybody. So have a good evening. <laughs> <laughs>